Welcome to Dream Business Radio, the place to create your dream business now. Get ready for some inspiration, some encouragement, some proven business building strategies, and a couple of new ideas that you haven't even thought of. It's time to leave slow and steady as she goes to the other entrepreneurs, because this program is all about speed and fast results. And now, broadcasting from his floating home somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, the dream business coach himself, Jim Palmer. Hello, everybody. I'm Captain Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach. I'm the host of Dream Business Radio. Now in its 10th year, actually, I think it's my 11th year. I've got to update my, um, my my repertoire there. This is episode 547. I have an amazing guest today. Stephen M.R. Covey is the author of this amazing book, which is quite thick, which means I haven't quite read the whole thing yet. He's very nice enough to send me one. Um, before I bring him on, I'll just let you know this episode of Dream Business Radio is brought to you by the Dream Business Mastermind and Coaching Program. If you're an entrepreneur, a small business owner who wants to grow a more profitable business faster, especially if you're interested in learning how to create multiple streams of revenue in your business, you want to be part of this extraordinary virtual mastermind group led by me, Captain Jim Palmer. You can learn more at dreambizcoaching.com, dreambizcoaching.com. All right, let me bring on my special guest. Every once in a while, I get a really serious heavy hitter. And this guy is a heavy hitter. I know he looks It's going to be all humble today, but he's a well, well-versed man. Oh boy, there we go, Stephen. Stephen M.R. Covey is the New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author of The Speed of Trust, which has been translated into 22 different languages and has sold over 2 million copies worldwide. What an extraordinary feat. He's also the author of the newly released Wall Street Journal bestseller, Trust and Inspire, the book that I just held up. I'll do it again. How Truly Great Leaders Unleash Greatness in Others which was named the number one leadership book in 2022 by the outstanding work of Literature Awards. Stephen brings to his writings the perspective of a practitioner, which is really near and dear to my heart. There's too many people just talking about things they really don't do, but he is a practitioner, right? And he's the former president and CEO of the Covey Leadership Center, which he increased shareholder value by 67 times grew the company to become the largest leadership development firm in the world. Harvard MBA, Stephen co-founded and currently leads Franklin Covey's Global Speed of Trust practice. You're hearing the word trust a lot. Believe me, you'll, you'll understand why in a minute. He serves on numerous boards, including the Government Leadership Advisory Council, and he's been recognized with the Lifetime Achievement Award for Top Thought Leaders in Trust, there's that word again, <laughs> trust for the for the advocacy group, trust across America, trust around the world. He's a highly sought after speaker who has taught trust and leadership in 57 countries to businesses, government, military, education, healthcare, and NGO entities. Stephen, I think you like the word trust because man, that thing's like every other <laughs> word in your intro, but welcome to Dream Business Radio. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, Jim. I'm real excited to be with you and with our audience. Well, we've been doing this a while. Um, my my uh, haphazard way of introducing people aside, <laughs> I just roll with it and, and let it go. I learned when I very first started doing this uh, show a long time ago, I would sit and edit out my arms. And I said, oh, my God, one show takes five days. So I just let it roll <laughs> with my sometimes bastardized English. But I mean, first of all, and I want to thank um, our mutual friend Denise Griffiths for connecting us. Yeah. You were on, on her amazing podcast as well. and. Um, 
So one of the things I always kind of my first question, I have I have no usually no script, no formulaic. Hey, if you were on a desert island, what one VHS tape would you have? I'm none of that. But the one question I like to start out with is kind of a little bit of the background, which I've shared. What I've heard, Stephen, from my audience over the years is that they love the inspiration. They love the backstories as much as whatever strategies, tactics, and things that we share. Now, yeah. I usually ask, so did you have a, a parent, a grandparent who showed you the way? That's an obvious question, right? But in case people aren't connected, tell us about your dad. I'm, sh I'm sure the major inspiration for what you're doing today. Absolutely. There's no question. He is. My dad is uh, Dr. Stephen R. Covey. Mm -hmm. who wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Yes. That, that, that continues, you know, 34 years wow. after being published. It continues. I just saw the numbers from BookScan last week in the top five of all business books. Last week, 34 the years. Top later. five. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So it's just, it's just, uh, it, it's amazing. It's because Seven Habits does a great job at taking complex things and making them simple. And like my dad says, he didn't he didn't create and invent the seven habits. He just mm -hmm. organized them, framed them. They're principles that he made accessible mm -hmm. and tangible and actionable for people. Kind of like a, what a browser does to make technology and the internet accessible. You know, he's done a similar thing for human effectiveness. That's what seven habits did. And, and I so and I that, think that's the foundation that I built yeah. everything I'm doing on. And I mentioned a practitioner to me. A practitioner is somebody who doesn't just go to 12 different seminars and conferences and read all the stuff and then regurgitate it as their own. Your dad, I mean, that he really distilled probably from hundreds of, you know, lessons that the top seven. And it just had such a, it res I mean, I read it so many years ago, but it resonated so strongly, obviously still does. Right. Still does. Still doesn't. And so then my so that was my base is, you know, this was in my DNA. Mm -hmm. and it was what I like to say that uh, it was the Covey kids. There was, there's nine of us. We come, I come from a what? big family oh. yeah. <laughs> that we were, the, we were the first audience for the seven habits because okay. my dad would test everything, try it with us. And, and um, so all those principles, you know, be proactive, begin with the end in mind, put first things first. He, he tried it first with us as kids in our home. And so I kind of grew up on this. It was in, in the language and it's what we expected of each other. And my dad and mom expected of us. And, and so, so I feel like my contribution, you know, to my father and his work was to try to help turn the, 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 you know, the ideas into a business that mm. could, could be scaled and could, sustain itself and grow so that we could have lasting impact, you know, not just in the U.S., but really all around the world. And so that's kind of what I feel like my contribution was to my dad. It, my dad's work is that I helped um, build a foundation and I helped uh, really monetize it, but also scale it so that it could impact people everywhere. And not only in business, but also in education and in healthcare and in government and not for profits mm. And impact people in all walks of life. And, and so I focused on kind of creating a business model that could help scale this business. And that's what I did the first half of my career was kind of was the business guy around trying to turn the seven habits and, and my father's work into a scalable uh, business and an organization.
So interesting. I, you know, I think of like uh, Zig Ziglar's son uh, is sort of carrying on that mantle, you know, with Ziglar yes. Institute and things like that. Um, and, you know, Reverend Billy Graham, his two kids are carrying on that mantle, right? So I think it's kind of in that vein, which I, I mean is a high compliment. You know, so you said impact and significance. It's interesting to me, maybe the color of my, the hair on my face is given a clue. I'm, I'm kind of on the back end of my career now. And, you know, one of the things I've been studying about legacy um, is you originally you start with certain goals, but then you, you, you have this desire, maybe it's in your fifties, you really want to have more of an impact, but then it really wants to become something of significance. I guess that's kind of, you, you hope you left something of significance. Um, so, I mean, is that part of your DNA, so to speak? Absolutely. I think mm. that you're right on that. It's, it's almost a kind of a modern version of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Okay. And, and um, if you think about it, you start it, you're trying to survive and then you move from survival to stability. Now you become stable and then you move from stability to success. And then once you achieve success, then the next level is to move towards significance. That's right. And I think moving from success to significance is an extraordinary endeavor because it really focuses on your intent and, and your motive of, of, you know, of wanting to leave a legacy, wanting to make a difference, wanting to matter. You know, yeah. What matters to people is mattering and having impact and, and, being, and making a difference and really moving from success to significance. Even Maslow. In his later years, because Maslow and his hierarchy of needs, you know, started off with the basic things, and he, the highest, the highest was self-actualization. But then later, years mm. later, he came out with um, uh, with a new uh, publication in which he put something above self-actualization, and he put it as self-transcendence. Wow, something higher than yourself. And so, really, in a sense, he's saying. Yes, success, that self-actualization, but what about significance, self-transcendence, creating even more impact because you're helping others now, blessing yep. others. So I think that that's deeply in my DNA. From my, I learned it from my father, and it was a big part of what I was trying to help do with his work was, was to get this to where we not only could be successful, but it could have ongoing impact. For, and and for I good. think that whole significance piece um, – that only comes with age. I mean, you can read books, but somebody who's 30 is really not thinking about significant. At least I wasn't, you know, it's all got to right. pay the mortgage, got to feed four kids, all these different things. But then you get to a certain age and that's why you're the shifting things. I mean, that's just natural. So it is um, natural. That's why it's nothing wrong. You got, we do have to pay the mortgage. That's why we yeah. got to go from survival to stability to, and then to success. And as we continue to have that, then our thoughts go towards significance. Yeah, so I was I just process. I was having a little fun with you. How many times I mentioned the word trust, which is obviously the first word in your book. And it's interesting to me that when um, when when your uh, assistant sent me a copy of it, I'm like trust and inspire. I don't. know, Sometimes my brain is slow. Sometimes it works really fast. And I looked at trust and inspire. Said, wow, we could use more of that today. And I mean, life, business, the country, all person. We need more. There's such a lack of trust. Right. And, and also, um, and I, I, I don't want to sound like a downer, but there's not that many people that are inspiring others, <laughs> kind of like a Ronald Reagan. I don't mean to go politics, but somebody who really painted a vision. We seem to be missing that. Am I wrong? Do you feel that like there's a little void right now? Or 
No, there, I think you're exactly right, Jim. There is a void. Mm-hmm. There's a, a trust deficit. Yes. Good, good words. You know, we, we're living in a, we're living in a world that's dangerously low in trust and mm-hmm. also dangerously low in inspiration. There's too much self-serving agendas and things going on. And people are wondering who can you trust? And, and the danger of a low trust world is that it tends to perpetuate itself. Right. Because we all become a little bit more careful, cautious, guarded when we see distrust everywhere, because none of us want to get burned, understandably. Mm-hmm. But then when we lead out kind of more guarded, people respond back more careful, cautious, guarded. That's right. And we can find ourselves perpetuating a vicious cycle of distrust and suspicion, creating more distrust and suspicion, and everybody feeling justified in the process. So distrust is contagious. It's, it's a dangerous thing. But here's the good news. Okay. Trust also is contagious. That's right. And trust and confidence can create more trust and confidence because when you trust people, they tend to trust you back. And so if you're a leader of a team, you're building a team, you trust your team members, you believe in them. It's not a blind trust. I call it a smart trust where you you have clear expectations and you agree to a process of accountability, but you build this agreement together around the Mm -hmm. trust you're extending. People tend to live up to it. They, they rise to the occasion. They perform better. And significantly, they reciprocate and give the trust back to you. So you trust wow. people. They tend to trust you back. And then you move faster with lower costs, greater creativity, a greater innovation. And the data on this is just overwhelming. You know, I'll just cite one study. High trust organizations outperform low trust organizations by about three times in economic wow. value creation, yeah. total return to shareholders. Um, they're, they're, they, they have far greater revenue, two and a half times greater revenue, three times greater value. There's 11 times more innovative, you know, all kinds of benefits that flow from building a high trust culture. And that's what we want. But in a, low, right. trust, in a low trust world, we have to work at it. We have to be intentional and deliberate about it because otherwise the low trust world will tend to permeate everywhere. They'll, they'll, draw, they'll draw in. Uh, you know, exactly. in a, I don't think, I think one of the great things about this country is entrepreneurship, right? But entrepreneurship yeah. is about creativity. It's about taking risk. And if you're in a non-trusting environment, you don't necessarily want to do that. You don't, you, you don't at all. In fact, it's interesting. There's a study from LRN that shows this. In a low trust culture where there's distrust everywhere, people are 32 times less likely to take a risk. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and as a result, they don't innovate because you're not going to innovate unless you're willing to take a risk and even fail. Now, it's got to be within a, you know, within a framework, right? You don't right. want to take such a risk that you sink the whole company. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be within a framework, within a context. But the only way we're going to, innovate is if we're willing to fail and we won't take the risk of of uh, of failing if there's low trust and so a high in a high trust culture people are 32 times more likely to take a responsible risk calculated risk and they're 11 times more likely to innovate and in that low trust culture you just won't do it because it could be career ending and that's why trust and inspire. That's why the two go together so well. Because effective leaders today, when they when they do trust their teams to go out and innovate, take a risk, which some 
many fail, but when one hits, it's good, right? And, yep. and that that to me, that's the essence of inspiration, right? So hence Absolutely. the name of your book, which is probably why you came up with it. It's a huge part of it because I, I believe this, that um, to be trusted is the most inspiring form of human motivation. Mm. It brings out the best in all of us. I know it does in me when someone trusts me. I want to live up to that trust. Yeah. I want to prove it justified. I feel inspired by it. And I certainly reciprocate it, give it back. I think others do as well. And I think our people do. They want to be trusted. They, you know, people don't want to be managed. People want to be led. That's right. They want to be trusted. They want to be inspired. And so one of the ways that we create inspiration is by trusting people. Another way is by being a model of the kind of behavior that, that we would like to see, that they would like to see. We, we, we go first as a leader. We model it. So when we model the behavior that, that everyone wants to see, we live the values, we walk the talk, we model it. And then when we extend trust to people, when we are trusting, so it's not just being trustworthy, we need to be trustworthy, and we also need to be trusting. That's right. trust. That inspires um, people. Yeah. And that's so what we want. Yeah. So about 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago, I met uh, Brad Zalas. I know you're on his show, yeah. Awaken Nation, really a, a, another brilliant mind in the whole leadership piece. And um, it's the first time I heard Brad, it's the first time uh, Brad is when I, the first time I heard this concept of multi-generational leadership. And it's it's been there, but it's way more today than even 20 years ago, four or five generations working in one company. And the leadership, it seems to me, just general observation, the the higher leadership, and I'm painting with a very broad brushstroke, but they're still in their, you know, the the IBM <laughs> leadership ways. And they, they back in those days, you didn't have a cell phone in your pocket. You came in, you when you're thin tie, and you went to work, and you're happy to get your paycheck. Now there's there's just so many ways that people are thinking. It's it's it really is a legitimate challenge, I think, for some of these big companies. There's no question, and there. There's as many as five generations. And the big difference today is that the, the expectations between these generations are more pronounced than ever before. They're just quite different. You know, these younger generations, Gen Z, even millennials, they, they, they have a completely different expectation of how they want to be engaged, how they want to be led. And they won't tolerate some of the old methods I call the old model of leadership, I call it command and control. Okay. You know, more the traditional hierarchical top-down type of thing. And then what's happened over the last couple of decades is we've become more advanced, more sophisticated. I call it, we've evolved towards a, an enlightened command and control. Mm. <laughs> but we're still got a command and control mindset of seeing people more like things and using people to get results instead of seeing people as, as a result in and of themselves. You know, we want to get results in a way that grows people. We have two ends, the result and the growth of the people. That's a new mindset. And so that's that's what that's really where the term trust and inspire came from is, is to contrast it to the old model of leadership, command and control. And in this new world, with these younger generations, with all this change and disruption all around us, the need to be agile and fast and adaptive, you can't command and control your way to a high trust culture that inspires so that you, you know, win the war for talent and keep people. You Dude. can't command and control your way to it. You can't command and control your way to collaboration and innovation. So if yeah. command and control doesn't work, what does? Well, I call what does work, the kind of leadership that works, I call it 
trust and inspire in contrast to command and control. So it's a style, a kind of leadership that is so vital and relevant in our world today that every generation responds to. So I know you do a lot of keynotes and you're out speaking work. So there's a difference in large corporations and even, you know, medium sized 50 people, but then there's small business, but let's cast those people aside because you're just leading yourself or maybe two or three other people, larger corporations. I mean, they, they kind of move at the speed of a, you know, aircraft carrier. They're hard to turn and things like that. And I think sometimes, again, me just painting with a broad brushstroke, um, how do they understand a concept like, you're, you know, to, to be, they want to be led. Well, what does that mean? And how do you, how do they implement that? It's a big question, but. It's a big question. Well, let me give you a, an example, a recent experience that I just had. I was in um, um, a couple months ago in Metzingen, uh, Germany, meeting with uh, Hugo Boss, you know, the big fashion retailer. Yeah. Multi, multi-billion dollar global company operating all around the world. Uh, Germany is our headquarters. And I was with the CEO of the company as well as with the top team. Um, and, and his name is Daniel Greeter. And, mm-hmm. and um, he told me what happened when he came in as the new CEO. He came in about two years ago and, and um, he came in from the outside. He's meeting with his top leaders, a hundred or so folks. And he's with them and he says, okay, team, I'm new to you. You're new to me. We can spend the next year deciding if we can trust each other Mm -hmm. and we'll waste a year doing that. Or we can start from day one by trusting each other and we'll move a lot faster. So the choice is ours. So let me tell you what I would like to do. I like to go with trust. So I want each and every one of you to know this. I trust you. Okay. I'm asking you, trust me back. Together, we can build a culture based upon trust and we can move exceptionally fast. Let's not wait the year to decide where we can trust each other. Let's start with trust until we prove that we're not deserving of it. And that was a bold thing. But well, the thing is, people responded to it. They, they, they liked being trusted. They rose to the occasion. This was not necessarily culturally you know, the, the approach that they had taken in the past Mm -hmm. and it was refreshing to people. And he, and so I was just with the team. They had a five-year plan that they started when he came in two years ago. They are already at year four. They're at year four of the plan. They're two years ahead. They're, they're twice as fast as they thought they would be at this point because they're operating at the speed of trust. Nothing is as fast as the speed of trust. Nothing is as profitable as the economics of trust. But the leader, Daniel Greeter, he went first. He extended the trust. He didn't wait for people to say, okay, you know, I, we trust you. He just says, I, I start by trusting you. We, we have winners here. We start with trust. Mm-hmm. And so he's operationalizing that. And that's being led, not being managed. And, but he went first. There's a risk to do it, but look at the risk of not doing it. Mm-hmm. The risk of not doing it is, we're going to waste a year of not making much progress while everyone decides whether they can trust each other. Instead, he accelerated the whole process and they're two years ahead of schedule. They're, they're twice as fast as they thought they would be. That's crazy. So inspirational. That's, that's the idea. And that's, that's a big company. Yeah. Imagine you could do that in a medium sized company or a small company and you can have such an impact a lot faster than people think, but someone needs to go first leaders go first. Yeah. We have about um, six minutes, which I can't believe how quickly this went by. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, that would be a great step one, right? 
Um, be, but then it, just being uh, maybe uh, a little, I don't know what the right word is, not maybe non-trusting because you have leaders will come out and make a great speech and they yeah. go back and it's life as usual. We're, there had to be some follow-up steps. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you, the, the key to the follow-up is this. It's, it's building the agreement together around the mm-hmm. trust being extended. So it's not just kind of, hey, I trust you. Do whatever you want. <laughs> you know, that wouldn't be a smart trust. That would be a blind trust. Right. So a smart trust is let's clarify expectations okay. around the trust being given. And that clarifying expectations includes the desired results. What, are, what is it that we are after? And we focus on outcomes, not methods, you know, results, not, not activities. Mm-hmm. Now, what are the guidelines or parameters we have to work within? And what are the resources that we have to produce those desired results? So you can try to clarify expectations together. And then you focus on a process for accountability to those expectations of where, where you know, how, how do we know how we're doing against the expectations? And what are the implications of achieving the results or not? You know, the consequences, right. the natural consequences, that's accountability. So whenever you extend trust to people, You want to build the agreement around the trust being extended with expectations, with accountability. If you do that well, and if you build the agreement together, as opposed to just dictating the agreement, Mm -hmm. I'm the boss, here's what it is, you will do this, and I will tell you if you're doing it well, I'll hold you accountable. That's not going to inspire anyone. Instead, if you build it together, here's what we're trying to do. How does this feel? How does this look? And you still have high standards. And then let's talk about a process of accountability to those expectations. Judge yourself against these expectations. You build the agreement. Then suddenly you don't have to micromanage and hover over people. Why? Because you built an agreement and the agreement governs. And there's accountability in the agreement against the expectations. People feel trusted. They feel inspired. They run with it. And the data shows that they're five times more likely to accomplish it because they have more involvement. They're more committed to it. You built it together. So that's the key is you extend trust with expectations and accountability through the agreement that you build together. And that's the old Definitely. adage, I guess, that it, it it starts in the C-suite, right? Because everything goes down from there, right? Yes. So you change the mind of the CEO or the founder or whatever, and then he gets the C-suite involved. Because if he says it and then there's still status quo here, it doesn't yeah. flow all the way down. So um, my final question, which unfortunately I about 12 more I wanted to ask you, near the end of your book, um, Trust and Inspire, you have a chapter titled, What Trust and Inspire is Not. Maybe yeah. take two or three minutes and then we'll wrap up. Yeah, see, it's easy that you hear the name Trust and Inspire. And like you said, you know, wow, we want this. You know, we need this, right? Yeah. And I think most people feel that way. It is aspirational. Like, wow, yeah, I want that. But sometimes people say, this sounds good, but- maybe is it, is it kind of soft? You know, is it going to work in, in my industry mm-hmm. or in my company or in my context? I got to get stuff done. I got to, I got to, I got to be command and control to get stuff done. And so I'm making the point that trust and inspire is not soft. It's not weak. It's not a lack of expectations or accountability. It's not a lack of control. No, it's just a different kind of control through agreements, through context, through culture, as opposed through, through micromanaging mm-hmm. it it is strong in, in, a, in a sense it's a third alternative if command and control is excessively hands and on excessively hands-on right the opposite of that is abdicate and abandon that's excessively hands-off there's no leadership there no vision no direction 
Trust and inspire is hand in hand. It's with. It's strong. You can be strong without being forceful. You can be authoritative without being authoritarian. You can be decisive as a trust inspired leader without being autocratic. And you can be in charge and have control without being controlling. It's really a third alternative. It's very strong leadership. People respond to it. So that's what I'd like to say is don't, when you hear this, don't think, well, that sounds good, but it's not going to work here because we got to be really strong. Well, guess what? The strongest form of leadership there is, is trust inspired leadership and is very decisive, very fast, very agile. And people respond to it because it brings out the best in them and they're inspired by it and they want to live up to that kind of trust. We oh my all gosh. That's the idea. It, so first of all, I would encourage everybody that's uh, listening or perhaps um, watching this on YouTube to watch it again because Stephen just gave a masterclass, not only on, on the trust of Inspire, but why he's such an in-demand keynote speaker because on a podcast, you brought the heat, man. I'm, I'm, I'm so uh, so glad we connected, Stephen. Thank you so much. Now, I got to ask you, so obviously it's available at Amazon. Is that where you want them to go? Do you want to go to your website or? Yeah. It, it, Amazon, but go to go to our website, trustandinspire.com. Okay. Trustandinspire.com. And you can follow me on all the no, normal social media. Yeah, you're you're everywhere right now. And by the way, is there an audio version of this? There is an audio version, and I personally recorded it. That's what and, I wanted to hear because you got a you got a tremendous delivery voice. So oh, well, thank you. Well, I, I believe in that because I want to bring my passion to it. Others might have a better voice for radio or what have you, but they won't have the same level of conviction and passion that the author has. And so I bring right. it. And, and uh, so I love listening. I, that's how I listen to, that's how I read books. I first listen to them. And then if I like it, I buy it, the book on top of it. I yeah. buy the physical book. So um, I've written six books and the last three, <laughs> the last three, I did audio versions. Um, and what I did and what I, what I helped my own clients who I helped become author said, Go ahead and read the book. But if to me, the little voice in my head is always chirping. It says, oh, you forgot to put this in. So go ahead and add that and let them know. It's like a little, hey, by the way, if you're in the, if you're following me along in the pages, which I'm sure you're not, I got to tell you one more thing that should have gone in the book and then share something extra. You're not going to go back and re-record, but next time, just, it's just a tip on how to make that connection with somebody. Well, you're adding value. And what's happening is as you put out your work, you're getting new insights, new experiences that that maybe weren't put in, in in print the first time, that is a new breakthrough insight that you want to add. That's, That's why I right. like doing podcasts, like doing this with you today, Jim, is because I'm, I'm bringing new insights. This experience I had with Hugo Boss just happened, you know, and it was just so extraordinary. Such a great story. Yeah. Yeah. To have someone at the very top say, I trust you from day I, one. And I have to ask you, how, how old is that CEO? I'm just curious. You know, I don't know for sure, but he's, he's, you know, middle-aged. He's so forties, not 60 or seventies, probably forties. No, no. Yeah. He's 40 or fifties. Yeah. 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 And um, so he's not, you know, I mean, he's not a, you know, 28 year old that's in this new guard. He's, he's, he'd be considered the old guard, Yes, but he's a trust inspired leader. He's, you know, then that's my invitation in this book is that even if we grew up trust, even if we grew up command and control, and that's what we know is what we're good at. We are not our style. We can re-script and we can become 
trust and inspire, even if we've been heavily scripted in command and control. And you know what? And I don't know if it was you that inspired him to do that or you helped him do that. But what in marketing, um, that's called a pattern interrupt. So when things are flowing along, you have to have a pattern interrupt to shake people up and go, wait, what's going on? So when he comes out instead of says, here's what we're going to do. Here's my goals, blah, blah, go make it happen. And he did, delivers what you said he delivered. That's a pattern interrupt. And people, it's kind of shakes them awake and says, wow, we're really going to do this differently, which is why they're four years ahead of their plan. <laughs> Is it beautiful? It's a pattern interrupt, and is one that also that people loved, and yes. it inspired them because everyone wants to be trusted and inspired, and you know. So, but people are afraid to do it because they, they they think they'll lose control. But I'm going to argue there's actually more control in this kind of approach because yeah. it brings out the very best in all of us. I could talk to you for another half hour, but my guess, my next guest is six minutes away. Okay, so you better get on. Man, I, I really, I am so glad we met Stephen M. R. Covey. Hey, folks, get this book, Trust and Inspire. Believe me, you're going to love it. And even if you're an entrepreneur, this is a way. I mean, there's so much in the Trust and Inspire, not just in running a company, but in in the way you market, the way you attract customers. Believe me, you'll 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 thank me and you'll thank Stephen. Thank you so much for being my guest, Stephen. Thanks, Jim. Wonderful to be with you. Hey, folks, that wraps up this very special uh, podcast interview with Stephen M. R. Covey. Get his book. Um, you can connect with me at getjimpalmer.com if this is the only place we happen to be connected right now. And until this time next week, another fantastic interview. I am Captain Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach, and you take good care. Now it's time to go implement what you've learned. Great ideas are nice, but results only happen through action and implementation. So stay focused. Kick all distractions to the curb. Sleep a little less if you have to. And create your dream business now so you too can live your dream lifestyle. To learn about building your dream business, join Jim's free Dream Business Facebook community at dreambizgroup.com. That's dreambizgroup.com. <laughs> See you next week for more Dream Business Radio.